What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Bush coming at you solo today to talk about how to build a win-now contender during a startup draft. So in today's video, basically what we're going to talk about is building a competitive team within your startup, how you should properly do it, you know, some mistakes to avoid. And I've come up with six rules, basically three macro, you know, total market value-based rules, and then three micro rules based on kind of player analysis that I've seen play out through this offseason. So this one's going to be a fun one. If you guys like building win-now contending type of rosters, in Dynasty Startups, this is the video for you. We will definitely have you covered with a rebuilding version of this. And maybe Danny will do that because he's more so the rebuilding guy. But I might do that as well. Who knows? So yeah, basically, we're going to talk about how to build a contending roster the proper way within your startup and make sure that you're not sacrificing too much value in the future and all that kind of stuff will be covered in this video. So if you enjoy this video at any point, hit the like button. Really helps us out. Really helps us grow. Comment down below any of your thoughts. Subscribe to the channel if you are new as well. Make sure to check out you know, TikTok, Patreon. All that stuff will be linked in the description. Check out our sponsors over at underdogfantasy.com as well. Best Ball Mania drafts flying fast and furious right now. If you want to get a piece of that action, a piece of $2 million to first place, a million dollars for the regular season champion, you can use promo code FSE at sign up and first deposit, and you'll get 100% access to our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto as a free gift from us, and you'll also get a deposit match back from them. So if you put in 10 bucks, you get 20 bucks, and you get our rankings for free. So uh, no better deal on the internet than that. But without further ado, let's hit the intro. This is how to teach you how to properly build a win now startup in your leagues right now. These are the macro principles that you want to take into account. So I I come up with six rules, like I said in the intro, and three of these rules are just basically uh, heuristics, principles that you want to take into account, guidelines to follow during a win now startup. And then the other three rules are specific to this year's ADP. So the first rule, rule number one, is never go into a startup with the intention of winning now or building a contender. So Kind of counterintuitive because you're watching this video because this is specifically telling you how to win now. But just as a general philosophy, a general rule, you want to first determine what is the micro market of the league that I'm entering? Is this a home league with all my college friends, high school friends, whatever, all the guys that I've been playing redraft with for a couple of years and maybe they haven't played in a dynasty league yet. I haven't played in a dynasty league yet. So the micro market of that league is probably going to be geared towards more of a redraft style league. So in that league, maybe going young is the move. If this was everyone's first dynasty league, or is this a league within our discord? Is this a league of maybe sharper players, industry folks, uh, another YouTube channels, discord, like, you know, Ron Stewart, BDG, whatever, or is it guys that you have no idea how they're going to behave? You have no idea who they like, who they value highly. All that factors into the strategy that you want to start with. The bottom line is you never want to enter a startup in, you know, before the draft starts, you never be, want to be like, hey, I'm going to 100% compete with this team. I'm going to 100% rebuild this team. You really can't be certain how the league will behave until you're actually a couple rounds deep into the startup. You might have an idea based on, you know, it's the fact that it's your redraft buddies, but who knows? Your redraft buddies might be a little bit sharper from the dynasty perspective than you thought. So until you're a couple rounds deep into the startup, you really don't have a certain idea of who's going to value what. And I'll cover that a bit later in the video of why you want to wait a couple rounds, but that's rule number one, stay fluid in your process. You never want to enter a draft saying I'm 100% competing or I'm 100% rebuilding. Rule number two is don't deal all your future draft capital during the startup. So a lot of people think that when they're winning now, they don't need future draft picks, right? They don't want to 
you know, they want to sell their 2023, 2024 picks because they don't need them. They're going to be competing. They're going to be late picks anyway. But the problem with this is that during the startup, your future draft capital is the cheapest it's ever going to be during the startup. Your 2023 first, your 2023 second, your 2024 first, whatever the case is. I've made this mistake in the past and it's 100% true. If you are competing, the reality is that pick has the least amount of value during the startup and you can trade it even right after the startup, as soon as the startup is over for more value than you're going to get during the draft. If you want to move your first, for example, to acquire a veteran player to help you win, do it after the startup, do it close to the season. For example, when you're approaching the season, let's say you missed out on Michael Thomas or something because you wanted him during the draft and he got sniped. You wanted him to fill out your final flex spot. Um, you think he's going to have a big bounce back year this year. Wait until after the startup to trade for Michael Thomas. Don't oversell the farm to go get Michael Thomas during the startup because I guarantee you he will be cheaper after the draft because some people are going to look at their teams after the draft and be like, shit, my team can't win. I don't like this team at all. I better start rebuilding now. And those are the teams that you can attack and, and send your 2023 first to because they're going to be selling off whatever win now pieces that they have. And you can get those guys closer to the season in June, July, August, whatever the case is. Or you can just hold your future draft capital, which is always an option as well. Maybe even collect some during the draft and still build a win now contender because the ideal situation to be in, and I'm sure if any of you guys are in this situation in a dynasty league right now, you can attest to this is to be able to win now and also still have all your future picks and maybe even someone else's future picks on top of that, because you want to be able to replenish your, your already contending roster with youth through the draft, if you can, or just trade those future picks if you need to for more veteran pieces to help you really, really contend this year. So that's the ideal situation to be in if possible. But if you're playing with sharp players, you're probably not going to be able to walk out of the startup with four 2023 first and a win now contending roster, probably going to be a little bit harder to do that with uh, sharper, more competitive players. But if you're in a more casual league, that is definitely a possibility for you. So Rule number three, uh, the final macro rule that we have, and this is the most important in my opinion, is maintaining flexibility within the first three to five rounds. So you guys have probably heard me say this when we're doing mock drafts on live streams or you know, when we're just talking about um, why we have certain players ranked over others, but I want to stay as undecided as long as possible during a startup. And the reason I want to do that is going back to rule number one. We don't want to know if we're competing or rebuilding until we're a midway through the draft, three, four or five rounds into the draft, because at that point we have a good idea of our micro league market and who everyone is valuing is, is youth flying off the board, all the young players going off the board at that point in time, you can make the decision. Hey, everybody's overvaluing youth. I can make the, the transition into a win now contender and nobody's going to be the wiser. Everybody's going to still take young players and I'm going to get discounts on veteran production for fantasy. Or is the, the opposite true, right? I'm in a redraft league with all these guys. We're doing our first dynasty league and nobody's taking age into account. I'm getting a discount on all these young players. And at that point, everyone's overvaluing, you know, current production. I can collect people's first round picks, get all these young players and compete in a couple of years from now. That's something that you want to have the flexibility to do from rounds three to five. So to illustrate my point, here's a couple mock drafts that I did of the first four rounds, the first five rounds and the last one to illustrate my point and to tell you how important this ends up being. So in the first mock draft, you guys can see that I took Josh Allen at number two overall, AJ Brown at the 211, Trey Lance at the 3-2, which is just absurd value, and then DJ Moore at the 411. So four rounds into this draft, I can decide because I have two you know, receivers that are 25 years or younger. I have two quarterbacks that are in their 20s. I can decide either to rebuild this team or I can decide to push my chips into the middle and contend because all of the pieces that I have, maybe Trey Lance is the exception to that, can compete right away, assuming Trey Lance starts this year. So I can transition this team starting in round five, round six, round seven into a competitive team if I want to 
or I can continue to collect young assets and rebuild. That is why you want to maintain flexibility in the first three, three to five rounds. And I will actually sacrifice potential early fantasy production to do this. So if I'm on the board and I have Cooper Cup versus AJ Brown, Cooper Cup is going to outscore AJ Brown this year, most likely, but I will take AJ Brown to maintain that flexibility factor so that I can either rebuild or contend if I want to. And then Here's number two, mock draft number two, picking from the back end of the draft. I get Lamar Jackson to fall to me at 110, uh, you know, phenomenal value there. Then I take Javante Williams at 2-2, who even though he's a running back, he's 21, 22 years old. I can retool and uh, rebuild this team over the next one to two years if I need to. Javante Williams should still be in his prime. Then I go with Tyree Kill at the 310, who even though he's a bit of an older wide receiver, should still have three to four years left in the tank. Maybe I go with DK Metcalf there instead, if you prefer. Deontay Johnson there at the 4-3. So at that point in time, I can decide to either rebuild or contend. Maybe if I'm uh, rebuilding, I sell off Tyreek Hill during the season or something like that. But either way, you kind of get the point. The final draft that we're going to look at here is um, coming from the middle of the draft. Kyler Murray, AJ Brown, T Higgins. And then in the fourth round, I kind of decided, hey, I'm going to take the value on Saquon Barkley, get Travis Etienne to wrap around to me at the end. So that's kind of when you want to make that decision. I would say as a rule of thumb, the first three rounds should be specifically players that fit both buckets. They can either contend or they can win now. You don't want to you know, pigeonhole yourself in round one by taking Jonathan Taylor because he's a running back. He probably puts you in a competitive window. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself in round two by taking Christian McCaffrey because he immediately puts you in a win now window. You don't want to take you know Cooper Cup because he immediately puts you in a win now window. You want to maintain that flexibility as long as humanly possible. If you can go six rounds without having to take a, either a win now or a contending or a, or a rebuilding only piece at the beginning of your draft, that's the ideal situation to be in. So the goal is to make it as deep into your draft as possible without having to make your mind up because you want to have as much information at your disposal of who's going to be competitive, who's rebuilding. If you notice that nine teams are trying to rebuild in your league, then a competitive team might be the route that you decide to go down and vice versa. If nine teams are taking Dalvin Cook and all these like win now type of pieces ahead of ADP, then you know that it's probably smart to rebuild, try and collect 2023 first, et cetera. So that's when you want to make that decision is when you have enough information to do so. So those were the macro principles. Those are the overall heuristics, principles, guidelines that you want to follow, regardless of what year you're doing this, that you could watch this video two to three years from now, and I would still have the same opinion. But these are the micro principles that we're going to talk about specific to this year's ADP. So based on how players are being valued this year, how do you want to approach trying to build a win now competitive team in your startup. And I've, I've done a lot of mock drafts. I've done a lot of startups so far this off season. I have an, a good idea of where players are going and uh, relatively what the market is valuing. So rule number four is stay either young or cheap at the running back position. So you do not want to invest in veterans that are, you know, the devil, they know types like Dalvin cook, like Derek Henry, like Nick Chubb, you want to stay either young at that position, or you want to stay cheap. So these are the pockets that I'm looking to attack. If I'm building a win now competitive team, or if I have an idea or an inkling that that might be the, uh, the route that I want to go down. So ideally, you get a premier young back that you can compete with, but doesn't necessarily preclude you from rebuilding or retooling. And that kind of goes back to mock number two, where I took Javante Williams, because this top tier of running backs behind Jonathan Taylor can either uh, compete or they can rebuild. This group of Najee Harris, Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift. I know Danny talks about how you can't rebuild with Najee Harris. I just frankly disagree with that take. If you're picking near the turn, I love grabbing a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, like Kyler Murray, like Deshaun Watson, like Dak Prescott, and then grabbing one of those young running backs to help myself either compete or rebuild in the future early round two. Again, 
if I leave my draft with Javante Williams and Lamar Jackson, I can either compete or rebuild with that team. I don't need to rebuild or, and I don't need to compete. That allows me to maintain flexibility. And I also get, if I do decide to compete at a later point, some good production early in year one. That allows you also to smash wide receiver value in the mid rounds and get a, a cheap RB2 type like James Conner or like Leonard Fournette and build out kind of like a hero RB that way. If you miss out on that territory of young running backs, and you could probably group Brees Hall into that territory as well, and you want to snag value at wide receiver during that time, rounds three, rounds four, rounds five, then I'm absolutely okay doing that. Handling running backs is the toughest part of building a win now contender because generally speaking, most people overvalue running backs. So you don't want to be the guy that takes all the win now running backs rounds two, three, and four, because then you're completely pigeonholed into competing right away. What you want to do is see how the running back landscape plays out. And if you can get value on, on good running backs, then you take it, but you're not looking to fill out your running back core in rounds three and four of the draft, because you know, those are the most important positions in fantasy or whatever. So this is the next tier of running back that I'm looking to attack. And specifically the young guys, Kenneth Walker, JK Dobbins, um, Saquon Barkley, still young cam Akers, uh, Travis Etienne, Those type of guys are the next tier of running backs that I'm looking to attack because the important point that I want to drive home is even though that you're looking towards competing and you're looking towards building a win now contender, you still want to avoid the 26 year old, 27, 28 year old running backs that are nearing the touch and age apex of the running back position. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the sell these running backs now videos that I did about a month ago, but we want to get competitive running back production at either a young age or a cheap cost. So if the running backs are flying fast and furious off the board and you miss out on the top tier guys, you might be best suited to go with a middle tier upside swing like JK Dobbins and then build out maybe a hero RB with AJ Dillon types and Tony Pollard's and Damian Harris in the double digit rounds rather than, you know, forcing the running back position because as a competitive team, you think that you need Dalvin Cook or you think that you need Derrick Henry on your roster, build a champion on the back of quarterbacks, wide receivers and tight ends while everybody is overvaluing running backs and fill out your running back production when it's cost effective to do so. So there's no guarantee, for example, too, that a guy like Travis Etienne doesn't outscore Dalvin Cook this year, even though you're getting a huge discount from an age perspective on Travis Etienne, who's 23 years old and doesn't have a lot of touches or any touches really in the NFL under his belt versus Dalvin Cook, who's 26 years old, who theoretically should outscore Travis Etienne this year, but it's not a guarantee. I'm sure plenty of win now teams last year that made the mistake that I'm talking about drafted Ezekiel Elliott in like the third round or the fourth round because they're a win now team. Ezekiel Elliott's going to help them. And they passed on a guy like DeAndre Swift, who at the time was considered maybe a little bit of an upside swing, a little risky because we don't know what we're getting, but he actually outscored Ezekiel Elliott uh, last year in points per game. So if you would have drafted DeAndre Swift last year, uh, similar to, you know, Travis Etienne, JK Dobbins types this year, then you would have gotten that age advantage of DeAndre Swift and still maintain that competitive window, gotten that win now appeal, but instead gained value instead of losing a lot of value like Ezekiel Elliott would have done. So why take Dalvin Cook rounds three to four when I can take a young running back in the same territory that has uh, longevity, or I can punt that position and take a guy like Leonard Fournette or James Conner in round seven or eight, who I'm going to, honest to God, probably rank over Dalvin Cook and redraft this year. And it's more cost effective than dra uh, drafting a guy like Dalvin Cook in a dynasty startup. So the moral of this story basically is to stay young at running back, avoid the tempting win now guys like Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, you know, even Christian McCaffrey to some degree. You want to avoid those guys if you can. 
and sacrifice a little bit of win now appeal at the running back position to get elite value at wide receiver, number one, and also get some young upside swings at the running back position. If I can build a win now contending roster with guys like J.K. Dobbins and Travis Etienne as my top two running backs, but I just have a loaded quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end core, that is the ideal position that I'm looking to do or to come out of a startup draft with. Now, rule number five kind of goes hand in hand with what I just talked about, but hammer the elite value on mid-round veterans and specifically at the wide receiver position, but also potentially at tight end and quarterback if you can. Trade down if you can too, to load up in that area. So if you're on the board at the, you know, 308, and all the wide receivers that you wanted, DK Metcalf, um, you know, T Higgins, all the guys that keep you young and fluid and flexible early on in the draft and you get to the, the, the 308, the 309 or something, and somebody wants to trade up for Matthew Stafford or something like that, trade down and try and acquire a fourth and a fifth or a, you know, a fifth and a sixth or something like that. Because in that territory of the draft, it's going to be rich with veterans that can help you compete right away after you build that young foundation. And I'm going to use this mock, for example. So I started the draft four rounds in Deandre Swift, Deshaun Watson, DK Metcalf, and DJ Moore. At this point in time, I can pivot to either a win now, or I can pivot to a rebuild. It doesn't really matter at this point because I have a young established foundation. If you've determined that based on the board, um, you notice a lot of guys are getting pushed up the board uh, due to age and a lot of veteran players are slipping. This is when you want to make that transition. The next pick essentially locks me into a win now, but after that, I commit fully to that win now. I hammer the mid-round value on veterans like Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, and Brandon Cook. So by taking Josh Jacobs at 5'10", who I, I'm probably going to be higher on than most people from a redraft perspective this year, I lock myself into that win now window, even though Josh Jacobs is only 24 years old, he is still a running back. I hammer the value on Keenan Allen, on Allen Robinson, on Brandon Cooks, because those guys are going to give me elite production um, this year. And maybe not elite for some of them, but at least wide receiver two production this year. So the important part here is that I would rather hammer wide receivers who are closer to the end than I would running backs. So instead of taking Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara rounds two, three, four uh, area, build your team around elite short-term wide receiver production as a, uh, as a pivot away from that, because guys like Keenan Allen, guys like Mike Evans, Michael Thomas, Allen Robinson, and Brandon cooks are going to give you comparable wide receiver production to the running backs that I just mentioned. And they're not likely to fall off anytime soon, because even though they're older than those players, the wide receiver position doesn't fall off a cliff. Like the running back position does as we establish in those sell these running backs now videos. So because they're essentially accomplishing the same fantasy production as guys like Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, et cetera, the only downside risk that you have with those wide receivers is that they get injured, which again is a lot less likely than the running back position. And this time next year, if Mike Evans gets injured this year and you know he's out for you know 10 games or something like that, he's still going to have value in next year's startup. Whereas if Dalvin Cook gets injured, he might be in the Todd Gurley territory, the Ezekiel Elliott territory, et cetera. So they're not going to hold that much value this time next year if those running backs get injured. So I would rather sacrifice a little bit more of a projectable upside at a running back position and take a risk on a young guy like Travis Etienne or somebody like that, then take the devil I know at running back like Dalvin Cook or Nick Chubb, because I know that I can get difference makers at wide receiver in the mid rounds to make up for that uh, lack of production. I would say that Travis Etienne gives me to Dalvin Cook. And like I said, there's no guarantee that he doesn't just outscore him next year at that young of an age. So rule number six, and this is kind of a personal preference of mine because I just like taking the value on veteran QB twos is take the value on veteran QB twos. Again, this is specific to this year's ADP. This doesn't necessarily apply to last year or next year. It's just, I've something I've personally noticed that I can bypass Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and guys that are, you know, young, but they have question marks around them in favor of quarterbacks like Derek Carr, like Kirk Cousins, like Ryan Tannehill and build my young quarterback three behind those guys 
this is the ideal build for me in a win now, right now. I can get an upside piece like Zach Wilson, like you guys see in this draft, in round five or round six, and I can go and turn around and grab Kirk Cousins or Ryan Tannehill or even Tom Brady, uh, if you're looking for something like that, to give me a top 15 to 16 type of quarterback season so I don't have to rely on Zach Wilson right away. And this still keeps me a little bit more balanced. I can still you know, build my team around Zach Wilson in the future. So in a rebuild, it makes sense to secure two young guys, in my opinion, like Deshaun Watson or Trey Lance. But when you're actually looking to compete, you want to remember that in a one quarterback redraft league, there's six to 10 20 point per game scores every year. And we're actually very accurate at predicting these guys. If I had to guess right now at the top 12 quarterbacks this time next year, who were the top 12 quarterbacks in 2022? A lot of these guys would fit the description. Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Kyler Murray, Tom Brady, Jalen Hurts, you know, Justin Herbert. All these guys are likely to be the top end quarterbacks this year. But after that difference making quarterback one type of territory, which again are being very highly valued in dynasty right now, the difference between QB 11 or QB 12 and QB 25 is pretty negligible. So if you miss out on a difference making quarterback one who are going very highly in dynasty startups right now as your second quarterback, you shouldn't reach for Tua. You shouldn't reach for Aaron Rodgers. You shouldn't reach for Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence because they have probably less of a chance of being very fantasy relevant in redraft this year than Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins. And some of those guys with Aaron Rodgers specifically, you're getting a little bit more longevity factor than you would be. And you don't have that huge risk with Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. So hammer the value at wide receiver or young running back in the mid rounds and then grab a sturdy veteran quarterback too, like Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, somebody like that, who will still hold value for a couple of years and give you better production in the short term, as opposed to taking a guy like Fields Tua or Trevor Lawrence or anybody going slightly ahead of those guys simply due to how old they are. So finally, just to show you how these rules are being broken in action, I decided to basically screw up a mock draft to show you what not to do. And here's what this would look like. So you guys can see my team. It's pretty atrocious and it's breaking all the rules that I talked about in this video. Now, round one was fine. Obviously, Kyler Murray falls to me at 109. That's a great pick. Take the value on Kyler Murray. But because in this hypothetical, I broke rule number one and rule number three, which was going into a startup, uh, assuming that I'm going to be competing. And rule number three, not maintaining flexibility through first, uh, the first couple of rounds. I entered rounds two and four just with the intention of competing. And I passed on potentially better values and guys that are a less risky assets to hold just because I was competing. So is Cooper Cup going to help me in year one at the two four? Absolutely. Cooper Cup is going to be very good this year from a fantasy perspective. But instead of taking Cooper Cup at the two four, I could have gone with a more balanced approach. I could have taken CeeDee Lamb, who's going to be good this year, who's going to be, you know, there's an outside chance he even outscores Cooper Cup, but he's not going to preclude me from pivoting to a rebuild if I want to, right? If I have CeeDee Lamb and Kyler Murray as my start, I can rebuild that team. I can, you know, punt for a couple of years down the road. I can also compete with that team because those guys are probably in their primes already as well. I could have gone with DeAndre Swift instead of Cooper Cup as well, who also doesn't preclude me from uh, competing right away because he's a 23-year-old running back. And same goes for the other rounds. The second you select draft on a guy like Derrick Henry in round three, you are competing. You have no other choice but to compete. You are committing to a win now and breaking rule number four, which is not taking um, you know veteran running backs in the mid-rounds because they are overvalued relative to the production that they're going to give you. You either want to go young or you want to go cheap at running back. Why would I take Derrick Henry in round three when I can get 80 to 90% of that production in round seven and eight with Leonard Fournette and James Conner? Or I can just get a young running back who has a little bit more risk, but is going to hold value longer like DeAndre Swift or Javante Williams or J.K. Dobbins or Najee Harris or Brees Hall or anybody in that territory. 
The smart move there would have been to grab a guy like T Higgins, uh, who went at the 402 in this draft, or a guy like DK Metcalf, and you know pair those two guys up at the turn. So that way, I go into round four and round five, sorry, with Kyler Murray, um, Ceedee Lamb, for example, or DeAndre Swift. Then I go uh, T Higgins, and I go with DK Metcalf. That way, I'm staying fluid, I'm staying uh, flexible in those first four rounds, and then I can decide at that point in time: do I want to compete or do I want to rebuild? Instead, obviously, I grab the guys that pigeonhole me into competing right away, which is something even if you're looking towards a win now contender, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself that early in the draft. And also, instead of hammering mid round wide receiver value, I took Chris Olave. Now, again, I would never actually do this. This is just a hypothetical bad draft um, who doesn't fit the goal of my team, right? Taking Chris Olave in round six would only be suitable for a team that is looking to rebuild uh, a team that has hammered Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara and you know, Cooper cup in the first four rounds of their draft should not be taking Chris Olave because that doesn't fit the goal of their team. The goal of their team at that point is to win now. So if you commit to the, to the win now, you better fully commit. Don't half commit. That is a big mistake that a lot of people can make during their startups. And also at the quarterback position, I had the opportunity to pair a win now quarterback with a young guy. Like I talked about as the, the proper way to do it, or the way that I like to do it based on ADP this year, I could have grabbed a guy like Zach Wilson or Mac Jones or Kenny Pickett or whoever you like in that territory. But instead I took a, a redundant veteran stack of Brady and Derek Carr. Why do I need both of those guys? Right. I don't need both of those veteran quarterbacks. I only needed one of those guys to pair with a young guy to help me get by for the next couple of years. And the final few picks are just bad values, right? I took Juju Smith-Schuster, who you guys know I don't like. Um, and I also took a bunch of, you know, Tony Pollard and, you know, Damian Pierce type of running backs when I could have been hammering uh, difference-making wide receivers in that territory. I also didn't even grab a tight end during this draft. So that's another, you know, kind of mistake that I, that I made. So if I had hammered, you know, Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen, and Michael Thomas in the mid rounds and grabbed a younger guy like Zach Wilson to pair with Derek Carr, to pair with Tom Brady, or to pair with, Ryan Tannehill, whatever veteran quarterback you like, this team looks a lot better. So don't do what this, this draft basically dictates. This is not what you want to do. Keep the rules in mind and you'll be just fine. So quickly to review the rules. Number one, don't enter a startup knowing that you're going to compete or knowing that you're going to rebuild. You want to stay fluid. And that pairs with rule number three, which is stay flexible within the first three to five rounds. Rule number two, do not trade all of your future picks in the startup because they had the least amount of value during that time. And you also want to hold on to those picks because they are liquid currency. They are not players. They are liquid currency that you can use to replenish your roster if you're building a win now contender. Rule number four, stay either young or cheap during your startup. So if you can't get a young elite upside running back, then you better stay cheap. Get James Conner, go get you know, uh, Leonard Fournette, if you miss out on those guys, even just do a zero RB, take AJ Dillon, take Michael Carter types, take guys like that in the later rounds, Damian Harris. Rule number five was elite hammer, the elite value on mid round veterans. And specifically at the wide receiver position where you can get elite guys like Allen Robinson and, you know, Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen and Mike Evans and all these guys that are going to be phenomenal from a redraft perspective this year. And then rule number six was kind of optional, but it's something that I'm personally doing, which was take the value on veteran QB twos, because the difference between uh, a quarterback two in fantasy and a quarterback one in fantasy is a lot bigger than people think. So give me the cheaper veteran quarterback two than you know, the quarterback two like Justin Fields or like Trevor Lawrence who cost a lot uh, for you to draft in your draft. So for you to be drafting. So if you guys enjoyed this video, I hope you guys followed kind of my logic throughout this video. I'm probably going to edit this down to make sure it makes a lot of sense as I'm watching it. But if you guys enjoyed this video at any point, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below as well, and subscribe to the channel. If you are new, let me know. Also, if you guys have any ideas for videos for the dynasty season, for the redraft season, 
by all means, leave it in the comment section. I've done a number of videos that have been suggested by you guys. So if you think I'm not going to listen or I'm not going to do it, you're wrong. I will if it's a good idea. So uh, by all means, leave you know ideas for videos down below. Uh, check out the Patreon as well. If you want to support us over there, check out Underdog Fantasy using promo code FSE. You'll get 100% on whatever you put in. So if you put in 10 bucks, you get 20 on the site to play with and you'll get our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto as a free gift as a thank you for doing that. If you guys want to listen only on podcasts, you don't want to look at my, my stupid face while I'm doing these videos, check out the podcast as well. Check out the TikTok for other content. Peace out, guys. I'll talk to you soon.